put your hands out in front of you like this. Same as you would if you were someone was giving you a gift or putting something in your hands. Father, today we receive your love today. This, uh, this message today, Lord, is all about your love and how your love binds us together. Father, your love unifies us. Your love helps us to be one. It makes us one. And I pray today that, Lord, you would pour your love affectionately into your people. Lord, in areas where we've not surrendered our hearts to your love, I pray, God, that you would you would begin to work on us today. And it doesn't matter whether we're, we're married or single or or whether we're, we're divorced or separated or no matter where we are, God, you love us and you have a plan for us that God, uh, if we were to open our hearts to what you want to do, literally, Father, I think we would be overwhelmed. Lord, I just pray today that you would minister to people no matter where they are in their journey. Today, you would minister to them that, Father, they would draw comfort from what is shared here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, worship team. Man, all those songs about love today, you'd almost think love was in the air or something. Uh, wow, praise God. It's so good to see some people here today. Give yourselves a hand for being here. Amen. We are so glad you're here. If we're off a little bit to the side, it's because we want to put the screen down and we want to be able to use that. And hopefully, uh, you know, Jim and Marlene, if you guys are off a little bit, I uh, hope it's not too bad. And, and I don't know about Connie, you on that camera whether that's going to work or not. Sherry's kind of gone, so your view is going to be out of the question today. But uh, we'll see if we can move around a little bit more here and still stay in the light. But uh, yeah, well, today we want to talk to you about how to affair-proof your marriage. Now, you're saying to yourself, yeah, but I'm not even married. Well, do you plan to be someday? Because we want to help you affair-proof your marriage. Uh, you say, well, uh, you know, I, I was married and, uh, and I'm not anymore. Well, probably one of these things contributed to it and, uh, and why you're not married anymore. But you want you to know this is not about condemnation today. This message is not uh, about heaping anything on anyone. This is rather to say, by the grace of God, by the grace of God, uh, you know, when I get remarried, when I, I, I engage in that relationship again, it is going to be one that brings honor and glory to the Lord. See, this is, we serve the God of grace and mercy and forgiveness. Someone say amen. And, and I want you to bear that in mind as we go through because, you know, if you're, if you're married here today, this isn't an opportunity when you, we get to one of the points and say, see, that's what you do. That's what you do. Uh, you know, that's not what this is about. So I want you to resist that urge uh, right from the get-go uh, because, uh, you know, it would be easy to fall into that. But we want to help you build a relationship that it becomes bulletproof to an affair. And there are proactive things that you can do that invest in your relationship that in, enable you to bring honor and glory to God. You know, a number of years ago, uh, a company, because their, their, their database got hacked, but Ashley Madison got hacked. And all these people were found out to be subscribers there. And Ashley Madison's, uh, not, you know, thing was, you know, life is short, have an affair. Marketing it as though a harmless fling could have no impact upon your life or the life of your spouse. One of the greatest lies ever marketed in the world. Are you hearing me today? 
greatest lies marketed in the world uh, because there is no such thing as a harmless fling. Everybody say that to yourself. No such thing as a harmless fling. Uh, you know, an affair has an immeasurable, um, uh, devastating consequence on the marriage relationship, not to mention the impact that it has on children that they carry with them into adulthood and leave scars on them many times for the rest of their natural lives. And so today, we, again, we, we want you to know that if you've been through the, the horrors of a divorce and through that, we, there, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Even if you say, you have no idea, Pastor, it was my fault doesn't matter. Today is ground zero. We start over again. We lay that at the feet of Jesus. We let his healing come into our life, and we recognize that as a great restorer and the great healer that we can begin today afresh. Amen? Yeah, we actually sang about that in the, I think it was the second song. Um, failure just means that your story's not over yet. Exactly. Like God's not done writing your story. So there's always opportunity for success in the kingdom of God. That's right. Failure's never final when the Father's in the room. Yeah. Amen? Never. Never. So we want to make sure we preface that because as we go through, there's probably some of these points you're going to say, man, I've done that before. Could God forgive me? The answer is yes. Absolutely yes. Um, When we talk about infidelity, you know, the word that comes into people's minds when they hear that word is a, a sexual affair. But, you know, there are many ways in which we can be uh, somebody who's uh, unfaithful or, or practicing infidelity. You know, the, the word infidelity literally means broken trust or broken loyalty. And we all need to safeguard our marriage from all forms of unfaithfulness all forms, no matter in which way they come. So that very narrow definition often causes us to pat ourselves on the back or get some kind of a self-righteous feeling when there are things in our relationship that are unattended to and that we need to be working on. And so uh, today, no matter where we're at, you might say, yeah, but we've never had that uh, any kind of a problem in our relationship. There are, are things, though, that, that happen long before a sexual affair happens that are also a breach of faithfulness to one another. And so we want to talk about that today. And uh, we've broken it down into nine, uh, nine uh, acts of trust that you uh, are strategies that you can use to safeguard your marriage. Nine acts of trust that you can do to safeguard your marriage. Now, I want to say one more thing before we get started. My mother, uh, Betty Dowling, if she's watching today, uh, she's not very tech savvy, so I doubt it. But, um, but my mom... Work, spent over 20, 30 years working in the banking industry long before there were such things as little machines that could detect counterfeit money. So my mom would spend in her training, uh, I think it was with the Toronto Dominion Bank years and year, years ago, uh, her training was that they sat the, the, the new trainees in a room of money and they just counted money all day. They counted piles of money. They handled it and they separated it and they're counting out new bills, old bills, just counted over and over again. For several weeks, they spent just counting money. Then one day, they slip a couple fake ones into the stacks and they're going through and all of a sudden, they touch this and they go, that's not real. How did they know what was the lie? How did they know what was the counterfeit? Because they had spent so much time investing in what was real. 
So much time was spent investing in what was the real thing that when the artificial thing slipped across their fingers, they knew instantly this was not right. And it's the same way with our marriage. If we will invest in the right elements in our marriage relationship, if we will invest in the right things, the pure things, the good things, the Bible says, that when something comes along that is a counterfeit for the real thing that God has right there in front of you, you'll know it as soon as you encounter it, and you will be able to guard your heart. I, when we were early on in our marriage, um, of course, when you're newly married, you think you're invincible and you're going to show everybody how to do it right. You know, you have this really, uh, I guess, arrogant or confident attitude. Um, But we had people around us that were very close to us that we deeply loved and respected. And they were people that loved the Lord and they loved each other. And when they said their vows, they meant it. And we watched all so many great couples, even some of them co-workers, we watched their marriages fall apart. And it was at that point that we made the decision that even though we had a good marriage, we weren't willing to settle for that, that we went after learning more and we did marriage encounters and we invested. So for those of you who think, well, I have a good marriage, so I don't need to listen. There's always more to learn. I'm still learning. Oh my Mm -hmm. goodness. We're both still learning all the time. (laughs) Yeah. We're not up here because we've arrived. All right. Just so you know. Uh, we're, we're putting these things into practice every day and reinvesting every single day so that we can make sure that what we have remains. Amen. And it stays strong. So the first point we want to make today, the first thing you need to do to affair proof your relationship is to give your primary loyalty to your spouse. Give your primary loyalty. Everybody say primary. primary. Primary means, uh, prime number, number one, the prime thing. Give that to your spouse. Uh, David Willis, and by the way, David Willis and his wife, they have a ministry of marriage, and uh, we're going to share our own stories and stuff, but these nine points are put together by their marriage ministry. They do an excellent job, and if you want to talk to us afterwards, we can direct you to some of their material, but um, fantastic material, and so we just want to give a shout out to them as well uh, and, uh, and as we go forward. So, Give your primary loyalty to your spouse. I have a quote here for you. When forced to choose between your career and your spouse, your friends and your spouse, or even your family and your spouse, you must always choose to put your spouse ahead of the rest. If your first loyalty isn't to your spouse, then you don't really understand the meaning of marriage. You know, I I encounter a lot of couples where this, this first point is a huge issue. You know, uh, all of the jokes about in-laws that get tossed around, how many know every joke has a little bit of foundation of truth in it, right? So how those jokes get started in the first place is because, not because in-laws are so oppressive, but because one of the spouses has given preference or deference to their parents over their spouse. And that's where the conflict with those in-laws comes. We must put our spouse first. Uh, we, and, 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 you know, the guys, that means ahead of your hobbies, ahead of your uh, friends, ahead of your career, your spouse must come first. And for us women, the challenging part can be to put our spouse ahead of our kids. 
when kids, kids come along. Spouse, mean. Yes, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, because um, when kids come along, we can be so focused on that that our spouse can quickly be left on the sidelines and we can give our loyalty so quickly to our kids and end up even creating friction in the relationship with our, our spouse and kids, whereby we side with our kids and not our spouse and they feel a betrayal. It can actually be a huge area of conflict. Yeah, if you're consistently giving your strongest loyalty to your friends over your spouse, you're cheating. If you're giving your primary energy, the best energy you've got in the day to your career only and not to your spouse, then you're being unfaithful. Because as I said at the beginning, if you want to understand the definition of infidelity, it is being unfaithful, lacking faithfulness to the commitment that you've made. And your spouse, she or he must come first. Everybody say first. First. If we could grasp this responsibility to give our first and our best to our marriage, our marriages would instantly and dramatically improve. Amen? Don't give your spouse the leftovers. Give them, give them the best. Give them the prime time, the prime attention, the prime respect. Put that to your spouse and, and make sure everybody else gets the leftovers. Are you hearing me? To put it as simple as we possibly can. That's what we need to do. Number two, keep no secrets from your spouse. Everybody say, no secrets. If you want to build an affair-proof relationship, don't have any secrets. I can't stress how important this is because even on the smallest little things, spending money on something that, that you think is simple or innocuous, but if you have a tendency to hide it from your spouse, then there's a problem there. Uh, and it can be even just the smallest amount. It can be a you know, going out to lunch with one of your buddies and then you picked up the tab because you wanted to be a little bit bravado with your buddy, but you're afraid because you know you're supposed to be out of budget and so you hide it from your wife. Hello, don't do it. Because every one of those little acts builds up so that the level of trust is shattered in the relationship. Yeah, the little things really do add up a lot more than you, than you want to admit. You think it's just a little lie, but then you become more comfortable in, in little lies, and then you find yourself lying about big things. The other thing is, when Kev talked about the trust, it's so true because then uh, when all your lies always get found out. The things you're keeping hidden, you may hide them temporary, temporarily, but let's face it, they're going to come out. They always do. And when they do then, it's the withdrawal of trust. And the more withdrawals of trust, the more uh, deficit there is in your bank account of trust with each other. And it's so key, especially um, with women, our number one need is security. So guys, if there's anything that happens, those little tiny things that may be hidden, what happens is then that becomes amplified to us because then we feel insecure if you're not being honest with us. Um, it's just such a huge area. And it can even be... Um, secrets that you're keeping in regards to your kid. You might be enabling one mm-hmm. of your kids mm-hmm. paying their cell phone bill and hiding it from your spouse because you know they don't agree with it. Um, on all those areas, on the fronts, especially with your kids, you need to be unified. So keeping stuff hidden, not smart, and it won't produce anything good. Amen. My, my wife and I, we 
we, we know each other's passwords. Uh, she can yep. go on my phone, my computer anytime she wants. Uh, you know, all of those things are shared. Yes. You know, we don't share them with everybody else because the last thing I want to do is get hacked. But uh, I'm not worried about getting hacked by my wife, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the reality is all of that stuff is shared so that we have no veil between us. There is no, yep. there is no thing that can come between us that way. Um, I'm going to share a story. We were about 10 years into our marriage, and uh, I remember exactly where this took place, and I won't go into the details, but we were... I don't know what she's going to share <laughs> anyway, so... <laughs> I, I don't usually know what I'm going to share exactly till I get up here, but um, uh, we were in Swiss Chalet, and um, Kevin said, I've got something I need to talk to you about and something I need to tell you, and he looks super serious, and how many people know that my husband doesn't look super serious a lot. He, he loves to joke and he loves to, you know, keep the ball rolling and stuff. So he looks so intense and I thought, oh my goodness, what's coming here? Um, and then he began to share something. He said, this is, you know, this is something that I have kept from you for 10 years of our marriage. And, uh, and I looked at him and I said, I, I knew that, but thank you for sharing. And he's like, you knew? How did you know? I'm like, I'm, I'm married to you. I I, I knew. And then I shared with him an area of struggle that I was having, uh, which he didn't know. (laughs) But but what happened in that instant was, was it difficult to talk about it? Oh, my goodness. You felt so vulnerable, and you're putting yourself out there, and you felt like you were taking this huge risk, even though this is somebody that I had been with for 10 years, committed to, had children with. I mean, he's been in the delivery room when our kids have been born. So you think you can't possibly feel vulnerable with somebody who has been with you and seen all of that, but you do. But, you know, the enemy wants you to keep silent on all of this stuff. The enemy wants you to keep secrets. He wants you to keep things hidden because he wants there to be an invisible barrier and a wall between you. And I'll tell you what happened with us when we began to talk about some of these things, the level of vulnerability that we were willing to share, the level of intimacy as we began to talk openly went up. And here's the other thing, and I I didn't even realize this until this week as I was praying about sharing today, but our level of authority and influence went up drastically. Suddenly, people were coming to us for input in areas of their lives, and there was so many, it was like, um, it was an elevation to the next level, and that's not why we did it. We just knew we wanted to, to be honest with each other, and Kevin led the way in it. Guys, I know you're afraid sometimes, and women, we need to know how to respond properly, that if you're in shock or whatever at first with things they share, then sometimes your silence is okay in that moment. Sometimes it's okay to say, thank you for sharing, and I I need to give some thought to this. But be willing to take those steps Mm -hmm. of being honest and transparent with one another because the payoff, the payoff is so great. Amen. Uh, David Willis says, secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. Every healthy relationship is built on a foundation of honesty and trust. You know, in marriage, uh, secrets are as dangerous as lies. Mm-hmm. You know, 
And, and I have people say to me, I never lie to my, my spouse. But, you know, good for you. You don't lie to your spouse. But are you talking to your spouse about everything that's in, inside? Because you, you don't have to lie to keep secrets, right? You can hide information and you can say, well, I'm not lying. But if the person has to sit you down and, and interrogate you for 45 minutes to get to the truth, if you're obfuscating everything that's going on in your life, that's the same as lying because you are endeavoring to deceive the person that you're in a relationship with. And so we, we would really encourage you. Anytime you're having a conversation, making a purchase, sending a text message, doing an internet search, or doing anything else that you help, hope that your spouse does not find out about it, then you are actually committing an act of infidelity. You're breaching faithfulness. If you don't want her to know, why don't you want her to know? Yeah. If you don't want him to know, why don't you want him to know? Secrets are anathema to your relationship. Amen? Number three, never threaten divorce or anything else. Don't threaten things uh, to your spouse in your relationship. David Willis says, being frustrated with your spouse isn't a good reason to get divorced. Any more, I love this quote, any more than being frustrated with your children is a good reason to put them up for adoption. Think about that one. <laughs> think about it that way. We, we, we would never think about doing that with our children, but why do we treat our marriage relationships so casual, yeah. right? Uh, that if we get to this point of absolute frustration, absolute uh, struggle that we're willing to just kick back. And again, please understand, uh, we're talking about where you're going to go from today forward, Right? And, uh, you know, because we're not trying to bring condemnation, we're trying to help you build a better future. But the reality is, don't, don't be willing to use this as a threat. Well, if you do this or you do that, I'm going to leave or I'm going to do this. Instead, find, if it's possible at all, find the way to move forward together. Yeah, it's, it's really a sign of immaturity when you're threat, giving out threats. Um, and it's time for us to grow up in general. Um, and threats can be even, oh, I don't want to go to your work party with you, but I'll go because I have to. And I'll make sure, like, I won't engage with people and, or I'll go to your family event, but I'm going to be miserable the whole time. And it's blackmailing your spouse. Um, Hello. Just not good grounds <clears throat> for intimacy on any level. <laughs> so, so I would just say, yes, it's time. It's time to grow up. When we make threats, uh, we're breaking our sacred, sacred yeah. trust that we've made with our spouse. And so uh, we're saying that the commitment we made to each other, our vows, really don't mean anything. So we have to make sure that we don't use any kind of threat as a way to manipulate our partner, our spouse. Your uh, struggles in, in, op in your marriage should be an opportunity to work together rather than something that you use as a weapon against one another in your relationship. Everybody understand? Number four. Everybody say number four. Guard your heart against emotional affairs. Guard your heart against emotional affairs. I love this quote by David Willis. He says, never stop flirting with your spouse and never start flirting with someone else. Isn't that great? Never stop flirting with your spouse and never start flirting with someone else. An emotional affair often leads to a sexual affair, but they're also in themselves an act of break, breaching trust, an act of infidelity. And they take place when we've allowed some of these other things that we've already talked about, especially keeping secrets, 
to take a root in our life. When we don't start talking to our spouse about that relationship we have with somebody at work or that friendship we have with somebody online, and all of a sudden it builds into an emotional affair where you rearrange your day. If you find yourself rearranging your day, your work habits, anything, so that you can have an encounter with somebody, uh, and that is an encounter that your spouse is not aware of, that's an emotional affair. Um, we recently did a study, some of us girls, with Havila Cunnington, and it was on um, I Do Boundaries. And she talked about recognizing what your role, your responsibility, and your relationship is. And as a result of that, there needs to be boundaries. So she said, for one of my single friends to go somewhere and flirt with a man, you know, banter back and forth and be flirtatious, she said, that's okay for them. But she said... In the role, I am a wife, and because of the relationship I have with my husband and the responsibility I have to remain faithful and faithful to him alone, I have no business, and flirting for me with anybody else is not acceptable. And I thought that was so well articulated. I love that. Um, I'm going to share a very personal story. Um, Bear with me here for a minute, but... um, um, when we were, uh, we were, I don't know how long we were married, but we had three kids and Derek was just a baby and, um, it was a pretty lonely time. We were adjusting to living in a new city and a new home and our housing situation was not very ideal. And Kevin was pretty, uh, caught up and absorbed in all that he was doing in ministry. And it's really hard sometimes to speak up when it's ministry because you feel like, you're expressing or being jealous of God. Uh, so, I, but I was lonely, and I remember um, talking to somebody after service. It was a guy, and talking to him, and, and it felt good to talk to him. I felt, I felt important, and nothing happened. There was, he did nothing inappropriate. There was no flirting even. It was nothing inappropriate whatsoever from my perspective. But a few days later, in the night, I had a dream, and in my dream, this guy kissed me, and I liked it, and it totally freaked me out. I woke up, and, uh, and I told Kevin, I said, I've had this dream, and I said, you know, I told him, and he said, well, is anything happen? I said, no. I said, I, I'm just totally bewildered by the dream, but here's the thing is, subconscious to me even, or even unknown to Kevin, um, my needs weren't being met in the connection with him. And so I began to feel a connection with somebody else, even subconsciously. Now, the minute that I told Kevin, we talked about it, we prayed about it, he said, what are things I need to change? Because he said, I know this isn't in your character and who you are. And so we began to talk about, and I was honest with him. I was vulnerable with him and told him how lonely I'd been. And he was so caught up in work and everything that I was really, really feeling a need for connection. And that's how easily it can begin. Mm -hmm. Um, It can begin very unintentionally. Uh, Jack Frost had as a teaching. Well, Jack Frost has now gone to be with the Lord. But if you look up in Shiloh Ministries, there is a teaching called... um, uh, avoiding pitfalls for leaders, I believe is what it's entitled. Yes, yes, and it's the uh, seven steps of uh, spiritual adultery and how you get there. And in the initial steps, it's just 
Uh, Kevin shared a few where you're feeling an attraction to somebody. It might be even like I said, I just felt good. I felt special that somebody talked to me and engaged with me. Um, then it becomes where you begin to compare your spouse to that individual. Then you begin to put your spouse down because they don't meet up to the level of this other individual. And on and on it goes till the final step becomes a physical affair. But long before it became physical, there was emotional connection there. And it can happen as simple as you're frustrated with your spouse and you begin to talk to a coworker and they seem so understanding. And then it, it develops from there. So be very diligent, very diligent. It was, I could have not said anything to Kevin, but I believe that again, it was an important step to be vulnerable, be honest with him, because then it helped him to also help to meet my needs. And guys, um, we all know that as men, we're, we're, we tend to be more visually stimulated, mm-hmm. but women tend to be more auditory. And so what a lot of guys don't realize is when they're communicating with a, a woman at work or whatever, and they're joking around or whatever, and if they're all in a bad spot or in a bad relationship, we're actually making deposits in that other person's life. Yeah. And we're just, we're just being a guy. If, we, if we've got a sense of humor or if you're a good communicator, you're just walking in your gifting, you think, and yet you are opening a door into somebody else's heart. And so we need to be careful. Sometimes innocuous behaviors end up being something that's making a deposit in the other person's life. And in the same way that oftentimes women don't give much uh, credit to or think about how they're dressing as being provocative, but if you understand how the male mind works, then it, it's, it's almost like guys need to watch their communication the same way a woman needs to watch the way that they they dress because we don't want to send out the wrong signal. And guys, we're so guilty of this. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just one of these people that I'll talk and I'll interact with people, whether it's at Starbucks or whether it's on an airplane flying somewhere, you know. And then the next thing you know, you, you don't realize it, but you're verbally engaging in, 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 a, in a communication with somebody where you're opening something up in their heart that's not meant to be opened. And so we need to be careful that we're uh, really, truly guarding our hearts against any kind of emotional connection that way. Yeah, it can be especially hard for people that are outgoing to not cross that line because you just naturally love to connect and yep. chat and, and uh, be funny and whatever. So you just have to be aware, not paranoid, but very aware. Exactly. All right, number five. Everybody say number five. Admit fault and sincerely apologize. All right, now I'm going to tell you something right now. If, you, if you're apologizing to your spouse and you insert the word but, you have not apologized. So if you say, I'm sorry, but, and then you follow it with what they did, that's not an apology. Or if you say, I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings, then you're kind of diminishing. Yeah, you're actually putting the person down while like, you're apologizing. Yeah, well, if you're you that know? weak that you got <laughs> offended or hurt, then it's your issue. Is so what here's really what saying. a real apology looks like, all right? Here's what a real apology looks like. Five, five steps to a real apology. Are you ready? Number one, freely express sorrow. Everybody say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're expressing your your anguish over the fact that what you did hurt the other person. And that's important that they know it touched your heart. Mm-hmm. So that's why you're apologizing. Number two, fully accept responsibility. Say, I was wrong. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Admitting guilt. Now you might even be thinking to yourself, but what about what they did? That's not the point of this exercise. It's what did you do? So say, I was wrong. 
Uh, number three, humbly ask forgiveness. Everybody say, please forgive me. You need to make yourself vulnerable to the other person and ask for forgiveness. And a lot of people just stop here, but there's two more steps to a thorough apology. Number four is immediately change your behavior. Say, say this with me. It will never happen again. Say that. It, it will, will never, never happen, happen again. again. Now, you know, sometimes it does. We're human. But if they know that you're working on it, that you're so aware of how that hurt, that you're going to do everything in your power to never repeat that mistake then that is another step toward building trust. And then the final one is actively rebuild trust. Say, what can I do to make it right? Everybody say that. What can I do to make it right? Now that is a real apology. If you drop one of these elements out of the apology, then you're going to be revisiting this thing again and again and again. This is a real apology. I was going to say, this also is something good to start teaching your kids at a young age, because that gives them then, um, they will have this as part of their practiced uh, behavior and even response as an adult. And when they go into their own marriages, um, it's something else. And I just totally, oh, I know what it was. The sooner you can take these steps, the better, because what happens is the longer you leave it unresolved, a disagreement or an argument, the longer you leave it unresolved, the more it gets time to simmer and grow. And I don't know about you guys, but in my mind, I can create a whole crazy scenario. I internalize, come on, all the girls are looking at me and you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) We're done, it's hopeless, it's this, it's that. Uh, And we create these whole scenarios uh, in the heat of the moment, we've learned, um, we've learned to walk away and sometimes say we need to both sleep on this because we're not in a good frame of mind and maybe after a good night's rest, we can discuss this, you know, in a more reasonable manner. Um, but we just have learned that the longer we leave it, the more opportunity it has Amen. to amplify and grow. Yeah, as, as a rule, no more than 24 hours. Like sometimes you need to sleep on it, right? Like sometimes, especially if you've got a hot temper, going for a drive is a good thing. But never, never leave that, that thing that's out there that you need to own up to, that you need to take responsibility for. Never leave it out there more than 24 hours. Take ownership with it with your spouse. Because uh, refusing to admit fault or to make excuses uh, for your actions or to blame your spouse or not take responsibility or to sincerely apologize, these are all ways of being unfaithful again to your spouse. So some of the most powerful healing words that you're ever going to exercise in marriage are these. I was wrong. I'm truly sorry. Please forgive me and give me the opportunity to rebuild the trust I've broken. One of the stupidest movies ever made uh, was the movie Love Story. And in it, if you remember the famous line, was a love, love is never having to say you're sorry. What a load of crap that is. Pardon my French. It is not true. Love is admitting you're wrong and being willing to say I'm sorry over and over and over again. What a bunch of nonsense. Where Hollywood gets out this stuff, I have no idea. But there couldn't be anything further from the truth than that statement. And if you loved the movie and it really touched you, I'm sorry, but it's nonsense, okay? So uh, love is not never having to say you're sorry. Love is being able and willing to admit Uh, your faults and say, I'm sorry, and rebuild the trust that needs to be rebuilt. 
there's sometimes when we've been in uh, a heated disagreement, um, which I know is you think probably that's hard Never to imagine, but us. we are two very strong personalities, <laughs> so it can get very interesting sometimes. But I have learned to go to the Lord after I'm done kind of my pity party or my perspective and my voice and what I think. And then I've gone to the Lord and I've said, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm missing something here. I know I'm missing something here. And as a woman of God, I submit myself to you. And I'm asking you to show me the bigger picture here. What am I missing? Help me to see things from my husband's perspective. And initially, if you're like me, you really don't want to because you just want to win the disagreement. <laughs> but, but then the mature side of me that wants to grow up, that truly wants to be a woman of God, that wants to be an example and wants a healthy relationship, I'll say, God, show me the bigger picture. You know, and then I begin to, as soon as I begin to pray, everything shifts. Everything shifts. And then the Lord begins to reveal things and show things to me. And you're like, I just didn't realize that. I never thought of it from their perspective. Um, and the other thing is sometimes you learn to say, you know what, Lord, I would love this to go my way, but I realize on a scale of one to 10, this is way more important to him than it is to me. So I can easily have a lot of give here. This is an area that's not worth putting down and drawing a line in the sand and it's not worth it. So I can be flexible because I know it's just the right thing to do. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Amen. Number six. Number six. Show up when your spouse needs you. Show up when your spouse needs you. David Willis says, be there for your loved ones in those moments that are important to them, not just the moments that are convenient for you. Ouch. Oh, this Ouch. is so powerful. Can I... Can I be transparent with you here this morning. Um, this is probably one of the ones that I failed at the worst. I'm a doer. How many doers in the room? I'm a very task-oriented person. So when uh, it's very easy for me to get caught up in my task and what I'm doing rather than in relationship. And so um, when we first moved here to Belleville and I was working diligently to you know, build our youth ministry and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, then we plant this church and everything, you know, is just, it's just work, 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 go, go, go. And so Sherry kept saying, I want to go to the county. Well, I didn't even know what the county was. Isn't that just that place over there across the bridge? What do you want to go there for? And she kept saying she wanted to go to the county. She wanted to see the sights of the county and all this kind of stuff. And then finally I was like, okay, let's go to the county, you know, because we'd had a few arguments about this, that I was too busy to carve out a whole day to go over there to do nothing, you know, because I got things to do, right? So finally I said, we'll go to the county. So we booked this day off. We go over there and I'm on my phone doing email the whole time, right? I'm just responding to this one, responding to that one. And then she finally looks at me and finally she just says, you know, let's just go home. I said, well, I thought you were, we're here. You wanted to be here, right? Why do you want to go home? And she says, well, I wanted you to be here too. Yeah, yeah. I needed him to be actively listening, engaging. Yeah. And so when he was on this phone and doing other things, it said that I wasn't worth setting aside the time to fully engage with. And... That was just, that was how I saw it at that point. You know, being there means more than occupying the same space. Mm -hmm. It means being in the moment as well. Are you hearing me? 
We have to be in the moment. Nothing drives me crazier than we're trying to have a staff meeting and people are on their phones. It's like, no, no, we're in the room here. Put the stupid thing down. You know, kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, put it away. You know, uh, if, if you want to open it up because you want to show them a picture, that's fine. But otherwise, put it away. We got human connection here right now available to us. Let's take advantage of that thing right now. And this has been a bigger problem with the advent of social media and the advent of mobile technology than it's ever been in the history of human relationship. They're a constant distraction from being in the moment. And yet, you know, life is not how many moments you put in, it's what you put in the moments, right? It's in the moments that take your breath away. You're not going to have that with a cell phone but you can have it with your spouse because they're right there with you. And so you need to focus on showing up. Be there when your spouse needs you and wants to be with you, not just when it's convenient for you. All right? Someone say amen. amen. Number seven, only three more to go. Wow. Number seven, avoid, this was a hard one for me. I don't even want to talk about this one. Avoid trying to win an argument with your spouse. You know, avoid. Avoid trying to win an argument with your spouse. David Willis says, in every disagreement with your spouse, remember that there is not a winner and a loser. You are united in everything, so you will either win together or lose together. Work together to find a solution where you both win. You know, I'm, I'm a dowling, right? And for dowlings, uh, arguing is a form of conversation. It's, 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 just, it's just how we do, how we do life. And, and if you get offended in an argument, you're just weak. I'm telling you what a dowling perspective is. I'm not telling family you need to, I'm not trying to really put anybody special. down here, okay? But I'm talking about our own family reunions and family. If you get offended in an argument, you're just weak. Like, what's wrong with you? Grow backbone, blah, blah, blah. We would just have drag them out fights. And, and we would argue and we, would, we, we were skilled I think every one of us should have been a lawyer or, or a prosecuting attorney. Like that was our, our calling in life or something because we loved a good argument. And, uh, you know, and, and I used to try and, and tackle my relationship with my wife. Every disagreement we had was an opportunity for me to win. You know, I, I, I've got a chance here to win. I got a chance to put my dowling arguing skills on the table and to not win the argument was to lose something of myself because my identity was in being right. Anybody like that at all? Come on, don't look at me like I'm some kind of a four-headed Medusa up here. I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? And, and so here's something I learned quite a long time ago, thankfully, is that it's more important to be righteous than it is to be right. God dropped that on me. It was like I got shot with a 50 caliber. It is way more important to be righteous than be right. So my first step was I was able to finally look at people and say, it's okay, you can have your opinion, you're allowed to be wrong, you know? And I thought that was me graciously backing out of an argument, right? Yeah, you're entitled to be wrong. Everybody's entitled to opinion, you can be wrong if you want. Uh, and then I realized, no, that's not what it means either. I'm not, that's not being righteous. Yes, you're not arguing with the person right now, but you're not being righteous either. So I had to learn what it was to put relationship ahead of winning. To put the relationship first. And man, that has taken me some serious practice. I still love a good argument. So if you want to come and debate something with me, and we're clear about the, the, the parameters that this is a debate, and that we're okay with it being a debate, that this is something we're doing, let's have at her. 
But otherwise, I'm not very inclined to just sit and fight anymore. It's got to be, it's got to be people who are really close and really were, you know, engaging in a debate before we're going to drop the gloves on this stuff because it doesn't build a relationship. Yeah, I, I don't like the aspect of arguing or debating. I would rather up and leave the room than be part of it. Um, but I'm not competitive by nature, so that's probably part of it. Yeah. Um, so for those who are competitive, it's harder to step away and not argue. I think that's really part of it. Um, but yeah, yeah. you've so definitely you, developed. So if you want to build an affair-proof marriage on this point, then take, take a win-win yeah. mindset rather than a yeah. win-lose. If you have a win-lose mindset, uh, then you're on different teams. Yeah. And you're supposed to be playing for the same team, right? So if you're playing on the same team, your partner can never be an adversary. So that's a divorce mindset. That's not a marriage mindset. So if you're going to have a marriage mindset, then arguing with your spouse is really not productive. Okay? Doesn't mean you can't disagree, but you've got to find ways of communicating that are not destructive to your relationship. All right? And, uh, and sometimes that means just being willing to uh, find a mutual position rather than you having to win. Does everybody understand what we're saying tonight, today? And if you need help on that, come talk to me. I've had lots of practice. I have had lots of practice. So I'd be able to, to help you uh, through that process uh, after the service. Number eight, nurture sexual intimacy. Nurture it. Nurture it. We have all the guys' attention right now. If you want to talk to Barry, how he does that, lattes, right, Barry? Lattes, that's how it works. Nurture sexual intimacy. David Willis says this, and I love it. He says, never trade temporary pleasure for permanent regret. Mm -hmm. Did you get that? Never trade temporary pleasure for permanent regret. Can I talk to guys here for a minute? This is so important. This is exactly what, what we need to hear because this is what the whole porn industry is about. It's about trying to find temporary release or temporary pleasure, and you do so at the cost of permanent regret. Not just regret about your relationship with the Lord, because it's not just the Lord that, that is, you're offending. It's not just the Lord and your relationship with Him that you're, you're destroying. It's your relationship with your spouse, because what you are doing is you are putting a wall between your spouse and yourself. And it's not just that it's a secret, it's the act itself. What are you doing when you're engaged in that activity? You are actually, actually looking for uh, satisfaction in someone else, imaginary or real, that you're supposed to be finding in your spouse. Please, someone say amen. You hear what I'm saying today? Did you want to say something, dear? Um, just that... Um, with, with intimacy, like we're, you, we're talking about nurturing sexual intimacy, but there's so many levels of intimacy that are really connected with that spiritual intimacy, like being able to pray together and, and uh, participate in worship together. And if you're someone and you're saying, I, I'm so nervous about praying with my spouse, um, here's a good thing to do. Start praying for them at home on your own. Practice. Amen. Yes practice it. You know what? Uh, you can look in uh, prayers and declaration over your spouse, and there's nothing wrong with printing that out, and then you can tweak it and adapt it uh, and begin to pray that daily over your spouse. And then when you get together to pray, 
You've practiced, so you're suddenly more comfortable. It's not so awkward. It can feel awkward in the beginning for many people. Uh, so you're not out there alone, but don't give up because it feels awkward. Take that step to practice on your own and begin to, uh, then you can enter into that level of intimacy. Intimacy is built through um, quality time, like recreation together. Uh, there's so many ways that you can build intimacy in your marriage. That, um, you know, emotional intimacy. And here's what happens is when you begin to connect in all of those areas, then your sexual intimacy becomes far more than just sex. It becomes truly, deeply, emotionally impacting. And there's just such a much deeper connection mm-hmm. there. God has given you uh, all of these elements of intimacy yeah. to, profi- to create and provide a profound connection between the two of you a connection that you're not to have with any other person, nor could you ever have with another person uh, while you have this connection. And as soon as you introduce it uh, to somebody, with somebody else, you have destroyed or you're destroying the connection you have with your spouse. God meant it, it to bond you together in such a way that as the Bible says, wherefore what God has joined together, let no man, no woman mm-hmm. separate. separate. You know, sexual intimacy is powerful. It's powerfully destructive when it's engaged outside your marriage covenant, but it's equally, if not more powerfully, binding between you and your spouse when it's kept inside the covenant. And so God gave us that as a means of connecting and drawing ourselves tighter together as a couple. Your sexual intimacy is a gift that strengthens the bond of matrimony, and it destroys the work of the enemy. It keeps him at the outside. So we just want to encourage you to nurture that intimacy in your life. Yeah, we believe on the laying on of hands of each other. <laughs> we believe you need to take that scripture literally, people. <laughs> Just to keep it clear there. Uh, oh, I think my poor son's in the room. It's okay, it's okay Derek. All right. It's just um, about, uh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to add that we've often had people ask us, you know, well, they want to know guidelines, do's and don'ts, or this or that. And Here's, here's the thing, mutually consenting, no, no one manipulating, no manipulating your partner into doing something they don't want to do. No third party, that includes no pornography. I'm just being real direct here. No pornography, that's third party. No, zero, none. zilch, not a nothing. None. Got it? So none of that. But honestly, if, if you read the book of Solomon, it's pretty sensual. It really is. Like, read the book of Solomon together. So it's meant to be very fulfilling. It's meant to be, the marriage bed is meant to be very fulfilling, very exciting, and very intimate. Amen. And that's all we're going to say about that. <laughs> Number nine. That's as close as, what you guys say, who, who is going to talk about Eros? Was like, you know, that's as close as you're going to get right there. So that's Barry next week, Barry and Tammy. All right, Number nine. <laughs> Final point, and, and please hear this today. Never, everybody say never. Never, never give up on each other. No. Never give up on each other. You know, uh, David Willis says, there is no challenge strong enough to destroy your marriage as long as you're both willing to stop fighting against each other and start fighting for each other. Never give up. 
You know, I remember Winston Churchill's famous speech when he said, we'll fight in the beaches, we'll fight in the streets. He said, we will never surrender. We will never give up. You know, there are many times when life is difficult. And if you have a a mindset where you say, well, I'm in this unless, until, or, or if it gets too difficult, then I'll back out. But if you say, no, I'm in this no matter what, I am in it, I'm going to fight for my relationship. Then you know what? That is the attitude you have to have. Billy Graham's wife was asked, Did you ever think of divorce? She said, Divorce never, murder many times. (laughs) (laughs) And here's the thing is, isn't that good? (laughs) Uh, That made me feel much more normal. Yeah, oh, too many, too many. Here's the thing is, oh, you go into marriage and you think it's 50-50. Divorce is 50-50. That's, that's, right. what, that's what 50-50 looks like is divorce. 50% of the money, 50% of the time with the kids, 50% of your, uh, your um, assets. assets. Yeah. That's what 50% looks like. Marriage is 100%. 100, 100. 100 and 100. 100%. Both of you, 100 And here's the thing I would say to you on top of that is sometimes we will look at investing money into everything else, into a new truck, into renovations, into a nice trip or a new sports, and we will not invest in things like marriage counseling because we think we don't have the money for it. And I'm going to tell you right here, right now, it's cheaper than a divorce. Is it ever? You know, when you need time together and you need quality time together, when, when it came to our 30th wedding anniversary, we thought, do we, don't we, what do we do? And then we looked at each other and we thought, so what if we spend 10000 in doing a month-long trip? It's cheaper than a divorce. Hallelujah. And we joked about it. <laughs> but there's sometimes you need to look at it that way. And investing in your marriage is something that has, it has a legacy to leave. That's right. A legacy. You have a legacy to leave. And you may not have millions in the bank account, but you have a legacy to leave to the next generation and the generation after that and after that. And that is of a solid, godly, strong, vibrant marriage in all areas. Amen. I just want to conclude by saying this. You know, too often couples throw in the towel because the mountain that's in front of them to fix their relationship just seems too steep to ascend. They say, I can't do it. And uh, they say, there's no way I can do this, and there's no way I can restore health to this relationship. And this is especially true if it's, if it's a one-way street. If, if one of the partners doesn't have any interest in building it, it's pretty much impossible to build it by yeah. yourself. So again, there's no, we're not trying to heap condemnation on anyone. We're just trying to help you understand that, however, if you, can, if you can both get on the same page and both be willing to work at it, the ascent is worth it. And when you get to the top of the mountain, you're just going to discover that the rewards that are there, the, the benefits that are there for you and for your children, as my wife said, the legacy that you leave is so powerful if you can do it. I can't tell you how many times I've talked with people who got divorced and got remarried and then discovered that all the problems they had in their first marriage are there in their second marriage. And they said to themselves, you know what? Uh, I wish I had just worked harder the first time because working hard, the second time is even harder. It's even harder. So let me, let me just share a couple thoughts as we close, and then we want to we pray for you today. Um, I can't emphasize how important it is for you to realize that 
God is also, the, though, the God of forgiveness. If you're married today and your marriage is in, is, in, is in a difficult spot, please fight for it. Give it everything that you can. But at the end of the day, if, if your spouse leaves or if, if there's abuse in the relationship or if there's elements that, 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 you know, the enemy has just worked so hard and you, and you find that there's no way and, and that, that the only survive way you could have survived was that you left, uh, we're not here to condemn anyone. We just want you to know that, that in order for a relationship to work, though, yep. that these principles, if you want to build an affair-proof marriage, if you're both committed to the process, yes, 100%. this will work. Mm-hmm. Following these nine principles will help you build a relationship that lasts into eternity. Mm-hmm. And that's our goal because we realize it's not just good for her, good for me, it's mm-hmm. good for our children, it's yep. good for our friends, it's good for our legacy, it's good for the church, it's good for everybody. How many churches have been destroyed because the, the senior leader ended up having an affair and the church was destroyed. At some point, they started to not practice yeah. these nine principles anymore in their relationship. And God is a covenant God. Covenants mean something to him. So if we're going to build a relationship, we're going to have to re-examine what it means to be in covenant yes. and to walk together and commit these things to each other. Whether it's your first, your second, or your, your fifth marriage, I don't care. Right now, Let's make a commitment to work on yeah. these things so that the story of our life going forward mm-hmm. is different than the one behind. And that's got to be true of all of us. When I came to Christ, the story of my life going forward is way different than the one that I have in the rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. And I want that to be the truth of my declaration every day of the rest of my life. Amen? I want you to stand with us, and we're going we're gonna to do a prayer together. And uh, the words will be up on the screen, little small. Uh, I apologize for that. We had a few little technical glitches. I was hoping to get it bigger, but can you, Barry's in the front row. We can read it, no problem. I don't know about y'all in the back, it's okay. but anyway. You can um, repeat it after us. But, but uh, yeah, maybe what we'll do is we'll just get you to repeat it after us, yeah. and uh, we'll say it twice, and you can repeat it with the second time, just in case you can't see it. But we want to pray these points with you today and, uh, and as, a, as an act of God's grace in closing. And we pray that God imparts yeah. this desire into your heart. Let's pray. God, thank you for the spouse that you have blessed me with. Let's say it together. God, thank Thank you you for for the spouse spouse you have blessed me with. God, help me to be forgiving and tolerant towards my husband or wife. And tolerant. Father, teach me to love my spouse unconditionally. Father, teach me to love my spouse unconditionally. Father, may my spouse fulfill your plan for his life. <laughs> Everybody can get this but the preacher in the front row. Uh, who, who can see the screen? <laughs> may my spouse and I seek you first before any other thing. May my spouse and I seek, uh, seek you, you first before, before any other thing. thing. Teach us to depend on your power through every difficult moment we face together. Teach us to depend on your power through every difficult moment we face together. Lord, help me bridle my tongue and not say hurtful things to my spouse. Lord, help help me bridle my tongue tongue and and not say say hurtful hurtful things things to to my spouse. Lord, help my spouse and I not to yield to any temptation that may come our way. 
Lord, help my spouse and I not to yield to any temptation that may come our way. Lord, separate my spouse and me from every evil company. Lord, separate my spouse and me from every evil company. May your peace reign in our home and hearts. May your peace reign in our home and our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just thank you for this message today. And I know this is a different, this is a uh, maybe an unusual format, but we just really felt that, God, what you've given my wife and I, it's taken work, it's taken effort, it's taken commitment to these principles, and we wanted to share them with everyone today. That, God, there is hope, no matter what we've been through, there is hope yes. for tomorrow, because, yeah. God, we can build better tomorrow than we built yesterday. That, Father, you can help us yes. no matter where we are in our stage and our relationship, that, Father, you can help us today to build as we move forward. Yeah. And, Father, I pray for all those here today. Father, for those who have a, a really yeah. good marriage, I pray, Father, yeah. that they would find ways to make it great. For those, Father, who yeah. have, are, are you know, in a difficult spot right now, that, Father, you'd help them to be able to yes. move from that difficulty to yeah. making it good and then from good to great. Yeah. Father, for those, that, Lord, that have been yeah. through the difficulty and the pain of yeah. divorce and separ separation and divorce, that, Father, you would heal them and that, Lord, they would find that as they move forward, and God, as the relationships that you bring into their life and their future, yeah. Lord, that spouse that you bring into their future, they would yeah. be able to build with these blocks today, yeah. and that, Lord, they would build a relationship yeah. yes, that leaves Lord. a legacy yes, that lasts. Yeah. Father, we just thank you for yeah. your grace and your mercy and your healing yeah. and your love, yeah. and we thank you that, Lord, can we can Jesus. be yes. better yeah. than we yeah. are. Yes. And, Father, that it's all yeah. by the grace yeah. and the mercy of God. Yeah. Yeah. Father, we thank you yeah. today and we give you praise yes. in Jesus' name. Yeah. And Lord, I Amen. pray for courage over yeah, people. Courage you. that may for people who may need to have difficult conversations. God, I pray a grace, a yes, grace right now. for you to be able to walk through some of these steps. I pray grace for you in listening and how to receive what you your spouse has to say. God God, you just, I just pray that there would be a grace that would fall on this house, a grace that would fall on people listening right now, just your grace and just the kindness of God as they begin to walk through these steps. In you, there's always hope. Our hope is in you, Lord, and in you, there's always hope. So amen. I just pray for renewed hope in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Thank you. For those online today that are coming on, Pastor Mark's going to start up the chat here in a few moments. My wife and I are going to come on the chat with him today. And so if you have questions from this morning's message that you'd like to add on, we might be a couple minutes because we got some people in the house today that we're going to talk to as well before we get on that. But Pastor Mark uh, will be starting that up. So if you're online and you want to get on and chat and ask some questions, he's going to start that up and you'll be able to do that uh, right away. God bless you and have an amazing week in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey everybody, Pastor Kevin Dowling here from Desert Stream. Just giving a shout out to you and saying thanks for joining us this week. We trust that you received something out of what was shared today, and we hope that it spoke to you and that it encouraged you in this season that we find ourselves in. You know, you could do us a big favor if you would just uh, share, uh, like, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Let people know that there's a place that you found that you're getting an encouragement and hope each and every week. We hope you plan to Check in with us next week, be a part of our expression again, and help spread the word that God is in control in the midst of this season.